You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. All right, if you have your Bibles with you, uh, turn to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. You can stand as you do so, if you would. We'll get, get your standing out of the way, and then we'll sit down and get comfy. But not too comfy. Just comfy enough. <laughs> Matthew chapter 6. <clears throat> going to have you go down to verse number 19. And we're going to just read through verse number 24. Matthew 6, verse number 19. The Bible says, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The light of the body is in the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. But if thy eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness? And here's the verse we're going to focus on today. No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. Let's pray. Father, again, thank you for today. Thank you for Sunday. Thank you for the opportunity we have in America to come to a place where we can worship you, we can preach about you, we can pray, we can sing, we can honor you. Lord, I pray that you'll bless the time we have this morning. Help me as I speak to say the things that would be beneficial and helpful to the hearers. Help me not to say the things that would be of myself and not of you. Lord, I pray that you just guide my thoughts. Be with our pastor and his family. Is there a way? Be with him as he preaches today as well. Just keep a hedge about them. Lord, we love you. Thank you for everything you've done for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So it's kind of a familiar passage that we have here. Nothing too, uh, if you've been to church any amount of times, you've probably heard the, of this verse or some variation of it. You're, no, you're familiar with serving two masters. And the title I have for the sermon, which it, coming up with titles is interesting, but I think it fits. It's, uh, what master do you serve? What master do you serve? Because the thing is, we all serve somebody. There, you, you cannot be, you know, neutral in this situation. You are going to serve, in this case, God or mammon. There are two, two options. And we'll kind of go through that here a little bit. But as we go through it, that's kind of what I want you to think about with your life is, what master do you serve? Who, who are you in service to? Um, as we read here, verse 24, no man can serve two masters, right? It doesn't say that we must not serve two masters. He doesn't say you must not serve two masters. He does not even say you should not serve two masters. Uh, the verbiage is very specific. He says you cannot serve two masters. It's impossible to serve two masters. It's impossible to have some allegiance over here, and some allegiance over here, you can't, it's impossible to do that. It's not just a bad idea. It's just, it's, you can't do it. You may try, but you'll, you will fail. 
to do, to do that, to serve two masters. Based on whom you serve, like currently, right now, every living, breathing human being that is on this earth has chosen and chooses every day to serve someone or something. You're either storing up treasures in heaven, based on who you serve, as the previous verses say, or you're storing up treasures here on earth. And God gives us a very specific good idea why one place is much better than the other. And I kind of touched on it this morning with our verse in Psalms, but things that you store up here on earth, they don't last. They may last hundreds of years, but they don't last forever, right? The house you're currently living in, just think of your house. Think of your, your favorite chair and then house. Think of how comfortable that chair is. You're probably going to sit there this afternoon. If, you're in a, if it's a couch or a chair, you're going to put the feet up, right? You're going to have your nice slippers on, right? You're just going to get comfortable. The heat's on in the home. You're going to take a good, nice afternoon, Sunday afternoon nap, right? Your most comfortable chair in your home. A hundred years from now, Okay, so 21, 20, you'll be dead. Sorry, morbid, I know. But 100 years from now, I mean, some of the younger ones here, they might live past. They might still be alive in 100 years if the Lord doesn't return. But everyone else, we're going to be gone, right? We're going to be dead. So that house that you live in, either someone else is going to be living there sitting in your nice comfy chair that probably floats off the ground, you know, because... Everyone wants to fly things in 100 years from now. It's flying cars, flying chairs, why not? But in 100 years, if the Lord hasn't returned, either someone else is going to be sitting in your house, they now own your house, or what might be likely is your house is gone. They've demolished it, they've tore it down, they've put a, something else there, or another house, a bigger house, a smaller house. Who knows? But in 100 years, your favorite chair and your favorite house that you're looking forward to relaxing in this afternoon that's going to be gone. And even if it's not, you have no use for it anymore. But we put a lot of time and effort into our homes. And there's nothing wrong with that. We put a lot of time and effort into getting the money to buy our favorite chair, to watch our favorite big screen TV and watch our favorite football team probably lose. Like that's, we put a lot of effort. No chuckles, none at all. Okay. We put a lot of effort and time. It's the Vikings. Okay. They're probably going to lose. We put a lot of effort and time into things on this earth. And again, there's nothing wrong with having things. There's nothing wrong with putting time and effort into having comfort. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But when our heart lives there, when it's our sole goal and sole purpose is to have that chair in that house to watch whatever we want to watch and be comfortable, we're, we're on the borderline of serving that master of comfort or the, the master of things or as mammon actually means gain to serve the master of just gain, right? In America, of all places in this world, that's, that's a master that's very prevalent in our nation, is the master of gain and having. Work real hard. Work your fingers to the bone so you can have. And if you work so hard, then maybe your kids can have stuff and things and be comfortable. And again, there's nothing wrong with working hard. That's a good thing. There's nothing wrong with having nice things at all. God blesses us beyond what we are worthy of. But when that's the goal, when that's what you look for, that's what, that's what your life's purpose is, that's mammon. And if that's your life's purpose, if that's your goal, if that's what you're serving, if that's what you're dedicating your life, your time, your effort, your thought, your manpower to, 
That's your, ser- that's your master. And the Bible tells us that you can't serve that master and serve God at the same time. Again, that doesn't mean you can't have things. It doesn't mean you can't have, be comfortable and serve God. But it's where your heart is. It's what your desire is. Everybody serves somebody. Every human is servant to something or someone. Your life belongs to something or someone. Now, if you're saved and you're living a life for Jesus, and we'll talk about the serving part here in a bit, then your life belongs to him. It doesn't belong to you, even. You know, but our culture and our world and our country, we think that our life belongs to me. I do what's best for me. I do whatever makes me happy or mine, you know. I do what I can do to make myself comfortable. If I like it, I do it. If I don't, I don't. If it makes me uncomfortable, I avoid it. But it's an inward, selfish look, and you almost become your own master, and it's still about gain of some degree. So every human serves something or someone. Now, before salvation, right, before accepting Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, his death, his burial, his resurrection, as payment for our sin and our life, before that moment, we are servants of sin. And that can take many forms, self, things, anything you want to throw in there. We are servants of sin before salvation. Hopefully you still have your Bibles in your lap. Go over to Romans. Romans chapter 6. Not that far to the right. Just past the Gospels. Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6, verse number 12. The Bible says, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. And that word reign just means be in control, be in charge. That ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin. In other words, don't let your life and who you are produce and just be at, at the mercy of sin. But yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness. Verse 14. For sin shall not have dominion over you. For ye are not under the law, but under grace. So, every person, before they're saved, that's how they live. Sin is, reigns in their bodies. Sin is the driving force of everything. Doesn't mean necessarily that they're quote-unquote bad people. There are many good people that are still ruled by sin. We, even after being saved, are still battle sin, don't we? We still fight sin. We still sin. It doesn't mean you get saved and you no longer have a problem with sin. No, you still have a problem with sin long past salvation. It's a constant struggle because until the Lord returns and we get our glorified bodies, sin is something you're going to fight for the rest of your life here on this earth. And that's where serving two different masters doesn't mean that once you're saved, you no longer have to worry about serving the master of sin. No, you can still, as a saved individual, on your way to heaven, never changes once you're saved, never goes away, once saved, always saved for all eternity. God is more powerful than we are. But that doesn't mean you'll never struggle with sin anymore. You may even struggle with it more in some instances because the devil is trying to trip you up in your life because now you're saved. You're on your way to heaven. He cannot change that, but he can mess up your life still. He can use sin to still mess up your life. Life lived with no involvement of Christ before salvation is ruled by sin. That is, that is the world's master. If you want to put a, 
you know, broad brush on sin and the world, those that are not saved, their master is sin. Their master is themselves. Their master is anything minus, minus God. That is their master, and they serve it. They may serve it willingly, full-heartedly. They may serve it, in some instances, unknowingly, because they're un- they don't know that there's another option. They don't know that there's another master they can serve in Jesus. And that ties into our responsibility as saved individuals to tell them there's another way. They don't have to serve sin. But everybody does serve somebody. Even us as born-again people, we can still, if we're not careful, we can still serve sin. If we're not vigilant to follow Christ, to serve him, sin will automatically kind of take over. If we just do naturally and not work at serving Jesus, not work at being holy, sin will take over. doesn't matter how long you've been saved. You could have been saved 10 years, could have been saved 30, 40, could have been saved a week. If you just live as is without trying to serve Jesus and live holy, sin will take over. And you'll be living in a way that is opposite of the way God is. And that means you're serving mammon. You're serving that selfish lust sin. But we need to yield ourselves, as the verse said, to God in order to serve him. So, point one, everybody serves somebody. So hopefully your mind is going, who am I serving? If you're saved, good. You've chosen a different master. Now you've got to continue to serve that master, the Lord. If you're not saved today, if you don't know the Lord as your personal savior, not because of something you've done, you have done or haven't done, but because of what he did on the cross, his blood covering your sin and paying for it, and his resurrection, if you have not called on him for that salvation from your sin, you have not made a choice, and by default, it's sin. Again, doesn't mean you're a bad person, doesn't mean you're out robbing banks and you know, slashing people's tires, it just means you're living for self. And that's how we are by default. But we have to make that choice to serve God. So now that we know we have two things, two masters we can serve, how do you choose to serve? How do you make that choice? What are some things we can do to make sure we're serving as Christians God and not sin, not self? And if we're unsaved, how can we get saved? And we'll talk about that too. And I've kind of already mentioned a little bit. But again, going back to how do we choose to serve? Mammon is gain. So when you think of mammon, when, when Jesus says here, you can't serve two masters, it's either God, you can't serve God and mammon at the same time. It's impossible. You cannot. Mammon is gain. Mammon is gain of everything. And I kind of touched on this already. But in John, 1 John 2, it talks about the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. And it's all kind of an over-encompassing blanket that says anything that is self-serving, anything that is serving of self or gain or what I want minus consideration for God, that's mammon. That's, it's basically just anything that's opposite and minus God. That's that's what that is. So if, how do we make sure we're not serving that as Christians? Again, having things, being successful, being comfortable is not a sin. But when we live our life and serve our life in attempt to gain those things, and that's the goal. The goal is the number in the bank account or in the 401k. The, number, the goal is to have this for retirement so I can be comfortable or the goal is to get this enough in my bank account or get this car or get to this status of house or get to this position at my job. Again, all in all, not bad things, but if that's the goal, 
And that's what the world teaches. The world teaches go to school, do good in school, go to college, do good in college, probably go to graduate school, spend a bunch of money, spend a lot of time, and educate, educate, educate. Become as smart and specialized as you possibly can so that when you're done with all this school, then you can go into the world and you can be successful. You can make money, you can stockpile money, you can get houses, you can get cars, you can get comfort, you can get happiness. That's what the world says to do. That's what the world tells our children in school. That's the most important thing, is to succeed, to be good, to get all the way to the end where you're, you're comfortable. And when you're done, you can sit back and say, look at all that I've done. Look at all I have gained. Look how smart I am. Look how dedicated I am. I'm the best I, there is in this category. And I've done it. My kids are happy, probably. My house is happy. My marriage is probably happy. But I got stuff. And I made it. That's the goal. And then when you die, you give it to your family. And hopefully they're not dumb. Sorry. (laughs) But that's the goal of life. It sounds to me, sounds very unfulfilling. Sounds very short. Sounds very temporary. But that's what the world says to do. The world says serve self. And even as Christians, we can, be, we can fall into that trap of trying to be self-serving and trying to become and get and gain and be happy and comfortable as a goal of life and still go to church and still do some things and I'm good. You know, maybe even I pass out some flyers that have the track, that have the track on them or have Bible verses. I'll do good things too on Sunday and Wednesday. I even come to all the services, but my real goal in life is what I do at work or what I do at school. That's the serious stuff. And when we as Christians are in that area and that's our thought process, we are serving mammon now. And it, it's, it's very easy to fall into. But we can't serve mammon and then come to church and serve God too. You can't flip it on this day and flip it off that day. It's one or the other. There are no choices. It's one or the other. Philippians, 1, uh, Philippians 3 19 says, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. Now, when you talk about that person right there, every Christian should be like, that. I don't want that to be me. And that belly, that just means they're them. They serve themselves. Whatever makes them comfortable, whatever makes them happy, that's what they do. But the Bible says the end is destruction. It's not just unhappiness. The end is not just, oh, well, it didn't work out. The end is destruction. It does not work out good. It's not like one out of five times it's fine. No, zero times it's fine. The end is destruction, complete and utter destruction. Those that serve their belly, whose glory is what they look for, who mind things of this earth. And a lot of times as I read and I study and and hear preaching on that, I'm like, yeah, all those people out there. All those sinful, worldly, non-saved people that was, whose everything is there, what they want. And I forget to look at myself and say, wait a minute. That, this isn't just necessarily for unsaved, but it's for me as a Christian. Am I this way? And I, at times in my life, I have been. I mean, when I graduated from high school, my number one goal, I, I wanted to be a pharmacist. Not, not for the drug thing, okay, but for the money thing, okay, the money thing. 
I was pretty good in school. I never really had to study much and just kind of came naturally to me. So when I got done, I was like, I'm going to go to SDSU to have a pharmacy school there, right at home in Brookings, go to college, do my four years, and I go to two years of pharmacy school. And they say, basically, if you can make it through pharmacy school, you're guaranteed a job pretty much wherever you want. You'll get Walmart, Walgreens. Like, there are lots of places you can go. And you're starting pay. And this was longer ago. Like, I graduated high school a while ago, okay? Um, I won't say how long, but it was a while ago. And then they said the starting pay, out of the gate, brand new, you know, right out of college, 80 grand a year. Mm, let's go. That's what I wanted. 80 grand a year to start? That sounds great. No one in here would say, if I give you a job for 80 grand, you'd be like, no, I don't want that. <laughs> I, that's, that's what I wanted. And I went to school for two years with that goal. I went to church still. I even helped in the youth group as a college student. Right? I helped in the youth group. I, I taught sometimes. I ran activities. I went to church I was not a bad kid, just given going to the bars or anything like that. I was still in church, still doing everything I was supposed to do. But my goal for my life was graduating pharmacy school, making 80 grand a year. I didn't even think about a wife. I didn't think about a family. None of that was on my mind. My mind was 80 grand a year, 80 grand a year, $80,000 to start. That's what I wanted. I was serving mammon wholeheartedly, as a saved individual who would say he loved God and tried to do right. I wasn't evil or bad, but man, was I sinful and prideful and desirous of gain. That was my only goal in my life. Until one time at church, luckily I stayed in church. If I had fallen out of church too, who knows what had happened, but I stayed in church and we had a special speaker come in and preach and man, God got my heart. And I saw exactly what I was doing. I saw what I, maybe not in the same terms I'm saying to you today, but God got to me and said, what? I did not save you so you could go make 80 grand a year. That's not the purpose of life. And God got to my heart and changed it. And because he changed it, I ended up going to Bible college. I ended up meeting my wife. I ended up, my life is way different than if I had gone to pharmacy school and graduated and made 80 grand a year. And I'm much more happy making way less than 80 grand a year today with what I have and who God is to me. So that's one instance in my life. But I mean, I can even fall into slip back into that for a couple months at a time where things become so important that everything else loses, loses focus. So God is who he wants us to serve him, not gain, not mammon. And it's very easy to do. And again, there's nothing wrong with 80 grand a year. You make 80 grand a year. I need to talk to you after church for I got something I need. Um, but if you make 80 grand a year, great. You should, wonderful. The Lord has blessed you. The Lord has blessed me with what I make. The Lord has blessed us all with things we don't deserve. There's nothing wrong with those things. But when it's our goal, that's when it becomes a problem. That's when it becomes we're serving that master. Now I'm going to take a little sidestep here a little bit again. Okay, I kind of did there, I guess, with that illustration. It's always funny when you don't write down things, but the Lord brings into your mind that story. I didn't plan to tell that story to you, but there it is. little sidestep that I did plan. Um, this is probably more for teenagers, young people, college age maybe even. When you think about serving God, right, you think about the missionaries. You think about Brother Ruckman serving God in Africa right now, 
doing things, right? You think about pastor, serving God, like he's full-time, that's his job, is to, to preach, to, to counsel, to study. That's what, he, that's what we pay him to do, right? He doesn't go to work somewhere, he works here, that's his job. He serves God, full-time ministry, a lot of times we'll say it. And so when you think about serving God, at least I did, and maybe some of us as young people or even as adults, you think, oh, that's kind of scary to serve God, right? Because we automatically think the full-time ministry, and we think, oh, some of us, I'll, I'll be transparent, I won't put it on you. I think, man, that's scary. I don't know if I want to do that. That sounds restrictive. That sounds scary. That sounds like, mm, I won't be able to be who I want to be, which you can already see where that's leading to. But this verse always scared me as a youth. And it kind of even does a little bit today. Isaiah 6, 8. You know where I'm going? And I also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And here Isaiah says, Then said I, Here am I, send me. And that's his attitude. And for me as a teenager and a, and a, and a college age, and even a little bit today sometimes, I was like, Oh, no, that's good for them. Uh, go, go. I'm glad you heard him and you're going. Because it scares me. It scared me to commit to serve the Lord, to say to, to God, whatever you want, I'll do it. That's hard to do because that gives up a lot of things that we want. That gives up a little bit of this man, mammon that maybe we're trying to serve because the only way you can say to God, if you want it, you want me to do it, I will do it. No questions asked, no complaints, just here am I, send me, period. That's a hard thing to say. And that always convicted me, and that's why I was scared of it, because it always convicted me, is, is, is my heart, is my attitude willing to say, God, you know what's best for me, and I trust you. And that's the thing. We as people, at least I did, as I thought that if I give up everything I want to do, that I'm going to serve full time, or serve God in any manner, that it's going to be not what I actually want to do, and I'm going to be unhappy no fun, just kind of ugh, burdened down by serving and not actually living a life that's fulfilling. Now as I get older and years get behind me and some of that youth kind of falls away and the immaturity and lack of experience falls away, you begin to realize as you get closer to God and get to know him more and build a relationship with him and he's not just this thing we worship, but he's God, a person, and you have a relationship with him, you realize God would never, ever put you in a place where you would not be happy. He would never have you serve somewhere that you would feel miserable because he loves you. Remember I talked about he sent his son to die for us? You don't send your son to die for people you don't care about, that you don't want to be happy. He wants you to be fulfilled in this life here on earth. He wants you to have joy he wants you to enjoy life on earth. Otherwise, he wouldn't leave us here to live this life. So when you surrender yourself to serve God, whether it is full-time ministry, like Brother Ruckman, I tell you, knowing Brother Ruckman and all of you, just knowing any amount, he's the happiest person where he is right now ever. Because God knows what he would make him happy. And he has chosen to serve God with everything he has. And that has brought him more joy than someone making 80 grand a year that should be serving God but isn't. God knows you. God knows your heart. And God wants you to serve him because he knows that's what will make you happy. If you want full joy, if you want a fulfilled life, it doesn't mean you have to go to Africa. 
doesn't mean you have to be a pastor. doesn't mean you have to be full-time service, like that's your job. But if your heart and your desire of your life is to serve him and live your life for him, that's real joy. That's real happiness. When you put yourself out of the way and say, God, I want to serve you. So that verse in Isaiah always scared me. I, was, I never wanted to volunteer. We know teenagers, they are not very good at volunteering. Right? At least when I taught youth a few years ago, I'd be like, all right, I need something to do this. Everyone's like looking around. Don't look at me. Don't look. Oh, he's looking at me. Don't look at me. Don't look at me. And you have to like, okay, you, you're going to do it. Even us as adults sometimes, we, we would not necessarily first to jump up and volunteer to do something. We like to let other people do it or just kind of be like in the shadows. I'm not here. Don't see me. So that always scared me to be like, yep, I'll go. I'll serve. Living my life for you. I'll serve. That scared me. But again, as I get older, you realize you don't have to be a full-time servant, again, in Africa or a pastor, but you just, you need to be available. Brother Crabtree said it his first night here at the missions conference, if you're here a, a while ago, a month or so ago, be available. That is the best thing to be for, for God, for, for, I mean, for anything in life, be available. If you're available and you're willing when God gives something to you and says, I need this done or an opportunity arises and you're like, yep, I can do it. God will bless you. God will bring more things to you. You'll be able to serve him in ways you never thought you were capable of. But if an opportunity arises, it's probably God saying, are you willing? Are you available? And my advice to you is always, always, always be available. When it comes to the things of God, always be available. Always be willing. Let's go over to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. You still with me? Everyone still awake? All right, good. I'm glad. No one's asleep. That's good. So how are some ways? We were talking. That was a little side note there, so hopefully you enjoyed that. So how do you choose to serve? We talked about how you choose to serve mammon and go after the things of gain. How do we choose to serve God? Colossians chapter 3, verse number 18. Colossians 3, verse number 18. Now, as I start reading, I'll be like, hold on a minute. But you'll see once we get down to the end how it makes sense. Colossians 3, verse number 18. The Bible says, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as it is fit in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. Servants, Obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. And whatsoever ye do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men, knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of inheritance, for ye serve the Lord Christ. So how do we choose to serve God instead of mammon? What are some things in our life today, practically, that we can do to serve God and not mammon? Knowing, as I studied and read, I'm like, well, this is, we're talking about the house, the home here, right? We're talking about relationships the home. This is how the home is supposed to be run. But then you get to the end there, and you see that the inheritance and the reward that you will receive because you serve the Lord are because of all these things beforehand. Who you are in your life. Now, not everybody's a husband, not everybody's a wife. Everyone's a child at some point, right? Everyone's children. Everyone's a servant. Again, whether it's your job here on earth or just being, you know, every person is included in this little section here. So how do we, as human beings, serve God and not mammon? Here's, here's some ways we can. 
Wives, respect your husbands. <sighs> it's hard. I know. It's hard to respect husbands sometimes because husbands are sinful and human. But God doesn't say respect or wives submit as long as they're worthy of it. God says, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as it is fit in the Lord. When we obey God, he blesses. God gives us commands. These are commands. When we obey God, God blesses. That's how the Bible works. That's how God works. You do what God says to do, he blesses you. It's very, very simple. Now, sometimes obeying and doing what you're supposed to do is not very simple. Sometimes that's difficult, again, because of our sin problem. But if we want to serve God, wives, you want to be a servant of God, you want to follow God, submit to your husband. Show him respect. Give him the thing he needs because God says to. Okay, we'll move on. Sorry. Uh, Verse number 19. Husbands, love your wives. Husbands, you want to be blessed. You want to serve God. Love your wife. In other parts of the Bible, God says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. That's hard. That's a tall order. You realize how much God loves the church? We talked about this already. God loves the church so much, he sacrificed his son to die for you, for us, the church, because he loved us so much. Now, husbands, love your wife like that. Huh. Okay. Makes the kind of changes the things a little bit, doesn't it? Changes the way you treat your wife. But if you want to serve God, right? Servants of the Lord Jesus Christ, serve the Lord Christ. These are some things, husbands, you need to do. You need to love your wife like Christ loved the church. That means both ways, husbands and wife. That means you have to put yourself out of the way. That means you can't serve self. Because if you're going to unconditionally love your wife, you have to be void of self. Void of pride, void of you. Of you. Wives, if you're going to unconditionally respect your husband and, and submit to him, you have to be void of self. And you have to trust that God, God knows what he's talking about. Because sometimes it's not easy. Sometimes you feel like the other party may not deserve and doesn't feel the same way. Right? But God doesn't say do it as long as they do it. He just says do it. Children, obey your parents. It's well-pleasing. I mean, he put a little emphasis on that. It's well-pleasing into the Lord. If you're a child, if you live in your parents under your parents' roof, your responsibility is to obey your parents. You want to serve God with your life? Kids think, well, I'll serve the Lord when I get older, when I have my own family, when I graduate college, when I'm in my 30s, you know, old, right? When I'm old and in my 30s, then I will serve the Lord. That'll be my time to serve the Lord. No, no. You're saved. If you've accepted Christ as your Savior, you can serve the Lord today. You can make that choice now. And one of the ways you do that is by obeying your parents, by doing what what they say to do, because it's well-pleasing, and it is serve the Lord Christ by doing those things. So children, you want to serve the Lord? You want to have your heart and your life that direction, not not after gain and yourself? Obey your parents. That's not always easy either, is it? Because sometimes your parents tell you to do things you don't want to do. Sometimes they tell you things that are opposite of everything you had planned for that day. And that's just not fair. Because you get plans, there are things you want to do, and they things that mom and dad want you to do are not fun. Right? Or maybe you just don't want to do them right now. 
Maybe I'll do them in a little bit later when I wanted to, but not right now. It's hard sometimes to obey. It is. We as adults think when we get older, it's just obey. But we forget when we were kids, it wasn't so necessarily easy. And that's not because your kids are bad kids and they have a hard time obeying. It's just because they're kids. And that's what they have to do to learn. Learn to obey your parents. If your children and kids, if you learn to obey your parents today, your maturity level will go up. And when you get older, you will see things. And you will understand things. And again, God blesses obedience. If you obey your parents, God blesses you for doing that. That's, I mean, it's win-win. Win-win. Fathers, provoke not your children to anger. Be careful, dads, about how you rear your kids. Be careful that we don't show them just always rules, 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 and follow, 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 but we show them the love of Christ too. Show them the love that God offered you and that God offers us. Don't provoke your children. We can discourage our children if we're not careful as dads. You notice he doesn't say dads, fathers, and mothers. Fathers. We're the top. You're the number one responsible one for your children. A lot of times our moms are the best at it, and they're the ones that always are doing the work because they're home, and they seem to always be the ones doing it. But dads, God says it's our responsibility. It's on you. Okay, so make sure you take that responsibility. Don't take it lightly. Understand our responsibility and our role for our children. Servants, obey in all things your masters. And we're talking about if you have a job, if you work, if you get pulled over by a police officer, if there are just in life in general, you should live your life in a way to please people. Right? It says, it says, Servant, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleases, but singleness of heart, fear in God. In other words, as he continues also, knowing that, um, I'm sorry, and whatsoever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord. So when we live our life, when we do things, when you go to work, when you go to school, when you go to the grocery store, when you go get gas, when you're driving down 229, right? Whatever you're doing, realize what you're doing should be done for God. If you do everything in your life as you're doing it to the Lord, you'll treat people differently at Hy-Vee, right? When you're not wearing their mask and they are and they scowl at you. Right? And you, then you're going to have an attitude and a chip on your shoulder and treat them in a certain way. That, do it, is that how you would treat God? When you're driving down 229 and the guy cuts you off right in front of you and you think things and maybe even say some things out loud and you get angry and a little road rage comes up, that's not serving the Lord. That's not doing it as unto the Lord. When you're at work and your coworker takes credit for something you did or gets, you get blamed for something your coworker did, or your boss is being unreasonable, or he just doesn't understand, or he's expecting things that are ridiculous, and this job is just the worst, I need a different job. As a Christian, as a servant of the Lord, things you do should be done as unto the Lord. So are you the best employee your job has? Are you the number one most easily get alongable, which I just made up as a word? If you are you the best employee that there is? Do people know you serve the Lord? Do people know there's something different about you at least? Or do you complain about everything that everybody else complains about too? And when they want to complain and murmur and, oh, here's the thing we're going to talk about today, are you right there in the middle? If you're serving the Lord, everything you do is done as it is done unto the Lord. And if that's in our mind as we go out of these doors this afternoon and go get our lunch and sit in our comfy chairs, if we do things out there like we're doing them to God... And for God, it'll change how we do things. 
It'll change how you treat people. It'll change how you treat your family. And that's the point here that God is trying to say, and I think and there are so many other examples and so many other places we could go. Serving mammon or self or gain or serving God. You can't dabble in both. You can't do a little here or do a little there. It, the Bible is very clear with the verbiage. You cannot serve both. It's impossible. So where are you? What, what side do you fall on? And it may change day to day. We're sinful. We will serve mammon. We will do things we shouldn't do. But when we read and we have a relationship with God, we see them when we do that. We see when we fall over to that side. And we should change. It should cause us to see it and change immediately. And ask God to forgive us for serving mammon and immediately turn to serve him. If we as Christians lived our life that way, where we were constantly judging our actions, ourselves, my actions, I'm constantly judging mine, and you're judging yours on a daily basis and how you treat people, how you do things, who you serve, it would change who you serve. It would change your day-to-day life. So where can you purpose to serve God better in your life? And with this, I'll wrap up here. The broad, big-picture sense, okay? What's, if we take a broad, just a bird's-eye view, how do you change, how do you make sure you're working on serving God with your life? When you look at your life and the things that you do, your goal and your purpose, what's your goal? What is your purpose for your life? Think about it. Right now, today, right this minute, 1143, November 22nd. Now you all know what time it is. What is your goal? What's your goal right now? What is your life's purpose? I'm not going to give you things, because you know what, the thing that popped to your head, that's what is kind of your goal. Is that pleasing to God? Is that purpose pleasing to God? Does that purpose serve God? Again, having things, working, gain is not bad, but when it's our goal and our only thing we strive for, that becomes our master. So is your master gain and self, or is your master God? Think about your goals. Think about the things that your life is going towards. That will tell you who you're serving. Now, bring it down smaller, right? The micro picture. How are you serving God here in this church, in this city, on a weekly basis? Okay, you can live your life for God. You can read your Bible. You can raise your kids right. You can love your, love your wife. You can respect your husband. You can obey your parents. You can do what you're supposed to do as you're doing it unto God everywhere. But what are you doing here in church, God's house, from here serving him on a weekly basis? What's your ministry? Who is your ministry? Are you teaching Sunday school? Great. Not everybody can be a Sunday school teacher, right? If everybody's a Sunday school teacher, we would all be teaching to our spouses and that's it. And that doesn't always go over so well, right? Not everybody can be a teacher. Not everybody can be a a pastor. No, not everybody can be a a song leader. Not everybody can be a piano player. Not everybody can be sing songs, right? Not everybody can sing specials like Carla did. Some of us get up here and do that. That would be the last time that that would happen, right? But that's her, <laughs> brother Mark. That's her. That's one of her ministries, right? That's that's how she serves. Where do you serve? What is it that you do? And if you look at yourself, you'd be like, ah, I just kind of come. 
trust me, there are things you can do to serve. You want to help? You go to pastor and say, I, what can I do? I guarantee you there are things he could find you to do. Again, you have to be willing and you have to be available. If you're willing and you're available, you can serve. You can serve here and serve God by serving from his church. Now, if you already are serving, you already have a ministry, what else can you do? Oh, man, I already serve somewhere. I'm good. Check. I already got that one. I don't, I'm serving. Can you do something else? Can you do more? Where else can you serve? Can you hand out flyers? Can you pass out tracks? Can you, can the go? I mean, I know pastor wants to do this. Can we canvas this entire town with our church's name and the gospel? I think we can. I think we have the manpower and the woman power and the kid power to canvas our city with the gospel. If, you're, if we're doing that, let's add, let's add that. Let's add that to what we're doing. Let's add that to our service. What are things that we can do to serve practically right here every week from this church to get the gospel out, to tell the world they don't have to serve mammon, to tell our family, to tell our kids we don't have to grow up and live that way, that serving God is fun, that serving God and living for him is fulfilling and the best life you can have. I'll finish with this last statement. If mammon or gain or self is served, it is in competition with God. If mammon or yourself is served, it's in direct competition with God and therefore in direct contradiction with God. So it's not just a, ah, that's a choice I made, but it's in competition with God and it contradicts God. So who do you serve? What master do you serve? We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.